Hello, one and all, and welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, and genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Suffield, I'm your host, and I'm very excited to welcome you guys to this week's episode of Film Fragments, where today we are going to be talking about our favorite films directed by M. Night Shyamalan. His newest film, Knock at the Cabin, hits theaters this week. And I couldn't have thought of a better topic to talk with you guys about this week than this man. He's so polarized and he's very divisive, but he's one of the most innovative filmmakers that we have working today. He's also an Oscar-nominated filmmaker, just in case you guys forgot. There are times where I forget that this man has been nominated for a couple of Oscars, but you know, it just comes to show his ability as a writer and director. I am so, so excited to welcome today's guest. Wen Lee is joining me to talk to me about M. Night Shyamalan. How are you doing today, friend? I am doing okay, and uh, thank you for you know having me on, Brian. And, well, I guess before we begin, I would just like to say, and, well, I know that you know the festivities are already over, but I would just like to say it anyway. Chúc mừng năm mới, as we say during the uh, Lunar New Year Festival. Chúc mừng năm mới to you, Brian, your loved ones, and, uh, of course, to the listeners of the show, especially to the listeners of the show, uh, <laughs> boosting your numbers and all that sort of good stuff. But yeah, uh, well, how and what do we usually say afterward is that, you know, we wish you a great new year, um, healthy, lucky, and of course, you know, easier going, basically. Amazing, amazing. That was the most beautiful introduction I've ever heard in my life. And I don't think I'll ever get a more beautiful introduction. (laughs) So thank you for that. (laughs) You're most welcome. Oh, man, I'm so I'm so excited. I'm so excited to have you on. So, you know, before we get into talking a little bit about yourself, I like to throw a curveball question at the start of these episodes. So you have the opportunity to take one M. Night Shyamalan character out to dinner. This is a character that he presents on the big screen. Hell, if you want to even take one of the characters that he plays, that's totally fine. Which character would it be and why would you pick them? This is really a curveball question there. So, you know, you weren't... Well, I would say that you weren't kidding about this ball being absolutely curved. How curved are we talking about here? But... um, (sighs) Try I really? We are doing this? Okay, so if I have to, um, Ivy, Ivy Elizabeth Walker from The Village. Nice. Right, and uh, yeah, I have to elaborate why too, right? Yes. <laughs> right, okay. Well, um, it's just she is, she is such a fascinating figure, most of all, and um, I always like to um you know to i guess i guess it's just because of you know the uh uh my occupation uh, aka journalism you know uh listening to stories and uh, uh being able to access certain perspectives that i uh you know never get to live will never get to live or will never get to ex- experience and uh ivy seems to have a lot to share especially if you have seen the village you know about you know her lifestyle her experiences and 
most importantly, the fact that she is never a pessimist, you know. And uh, I think I always like to um, talk to hopeful or optimistic people. Optimistic, but not to the point where it's uh, fantastical, you know, because um, optimism, but uh, to a point that's very grounded and very relatable. So, yeah, I guess there we go. Ivy Walker, I am free on Thursday. Thursday is the day <laughs> when I am free. <laughs> I answer. love that answer. That's a great answer. I love that answer. A complete 180 for me. Um, you know, sometimes it's very therapeutic to be talking to people that specialize in therapy or psychology. Uh. So <laughs> I have to go with Dr. Malcolm Crow from The Sixth Sense, played by Bruce oh, yeah. Willis. Listen, I mean, we'll definitely be talking a little bit about this character throughout the episode for sure. But I don't know. Malcolm Crow seems very laid back compared to a lot of other therapists and psychiatrists that are portrayed on screen. And plus, I mean, it's Bruce Willis. Come on. I mean, who doesn't want to have a meal with Bruce Willis? Yes, I could have chosen David Dunn, but for some reason, I don't know how I would feel sitting across from someone who survived a car accident. I don't know. It's like, what do I do in this scenario? Do I have to pay for you? But with with Malcolm Crow being the, psycho the psychiatrist, it's like, well, he makes the money. He makes the bank that he could pay for dinner for me. Not that I'm a cheapskate or anything, but, you know, why not talk to a um, – world-renowned, award-winning, styled psychologist. And um, I, um, I I actually like that choice, too, because, um, okay, uh, trivia. Uh, it's actually because of uh, Bruce Willis' portrayal in The Sixth Sense that I actually told my parents that, uh, you know, when I grow up, uh, grow up being, you know, university age, I think I'm going to pursue a psychology major. Oh, yeah, that's very cool. But that oh. was before I realized that. Okay, so uh, you know, to be a uh, you know to operate as a psychologist, aka get paid as one, you need to stay in school for twelve years, and you need to study at certain schools, uh, A, B, C, D, and E, which are you know we can scale it down to maybe only like four qualifying quote-unquote states so yeah i was like um about that i guess next life but yeah <laughs> basically besides all, all those details aside yes it it was because of i uh, was it uh, dr crow i, I just want to make sure i get the, the character's name right that dr crow yeah, there we go. It was because of him that initially, before you know, you see me as I as I am right now, being a film critic uh, or a journalist or a writer, I actually wanted to be a psychologist. <laughs> Amazing! That's so cool. And now, if you're listening to this, you somewhat inspired someone to go down this path, even though they didn't end up becoming a child psychologist. So that's amazing. That's so cool. That's pretty cool. M Night, you change a lot of lives and you inspire so many people and you inspired him to somewhat pursue that. But, you know, hey, 
we have you in film criticism and that's just even better so speaking of you and speaking of film criticism talk a little bit about your journey with film what got you into film what's your story with film why do you love it so much all right um are we sitting comfortably and then i'll begin um once upon a time about nine thousand miles oh away. my god <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not, no, I'm sorry. It's not going to take that long. So, <laughs> basically, um, basically, I would say, um, you know, my, my household, uh, everybody loves the arts. But um, they there would be one kind of, I guess, let's just say one area of art that they would always be reluctant to try out. And that would be... Hollywood films or, you know, uh, Western uh, films from the Western world. And it's for a very simple reason. It's just because that, you know, um, in Vietnam, English at the time, especially at the, in, in my younger age, it was, it was not the most popular second language. Um, the most popular second language uh, at the time was um, actually French or even Chinese. So, um, and, uh, well... Until my generation pop out, it was it was everything you know English, either British English or American English. So I just thought that you know, how about I, how about I try to you know study it as hard as I could and uh, you know get all the best bits of it as I could and then try to introduce my household into something that. So that it stops being a kryptonite to them, you know, so that they can actually just access it and enjoy it as well. So I guess it all started when I discovered that um, my, I guess my, I would say my parents' uh, film collection. And yes, piracy is rampant in Vietnam, especially back then. So it was actually a bootleg copy of Gore Verbinski, The Ring with some uh with actually with very poor image quality but very precise english subtitles for some reason um my mom said that uh she watched it because she loves horror i love her for that uh she couldn't <laughs> but she couldn't understand it so i just asked her could you just um could we just watch it together and uh, could you just turn on the English subtitles so that I can just translate it into Vietnamese according to words that I see on screen? And she said, sure. And I did that. And um, I realized that, hey, I can actually do this. And eventually it became kind of like uh, my household's favorite pastime to, you know, ask me for film recommendations and you know, just turn on the English subtitles and then we would watch together and I would just translate it for them right there and then. And Amazing. That, yeah, that's how, I guess that's how, that's my entryway into films. And uh, of course, one of, um, one of uh, uh, M. Night Shyamalan's films actually made it into one of the entry films, one of the earliest films that I would practice my that very particular skill of mine and yeah i think uh over time i did uh uh it may this may sound like a boost but uh you know i did uh, i think i did get better at it because 
eventually it was I'm I find that not only am I doing that for people in the household but then you know to my dad's friends and then my mom's friends and then at certain times my sister's friends or you know my mom's sister's friends and you know it's just suddenly I became like this quote-unquote service <laughs> whenever they need to see it and um, <laughs> they actually they actually said that you know um, I I help them a lot because normally it, again uh, going back to the fact that you know um, uh, <clears throat> excuse me going back to the fact that you know English is not that popular uh, as popular a second language during their generation um, they were they know they know that those films uh, a B and C are good but then they just not that brave to watch it they are scared quote I'm, I'm, I'm citing them their words they are actually scared of watching it because it was in a language that they couldn't understand and well surprise until I'm I, I came to be and then I can do that and then they just said that oh okay now you know you actually open a whole new world to us so there's that that's wonderful that's so cool that's amazing and I'm so glad that you know you came across films the this way I mean piracy is not encouraged but you know I'm glad that you were able to expand your horizons into film and your love for horror and also the Rain by Gore Verbinski, that's a great film to get you into film. That's an amazing choice. That's a wonderful horror film. And, you know, for it being PG-13, it's scarier than a lot of the R-rated horror movies that we get nowadays. And that movie is over 20 years old, and it finds a way of still giving me chills. Like, it's utterly terrifying. And, you know, Shyamalan is no stranger to making PG-13 horror films, so we'll definitely touch upon those throughout this episode as well and you know to go into the topic of Shyamalan why do you think that even though he is incredibly polarizing and divisive amongst critics and audiences why do you think a lot of people still get intrigued whenever they see his name attached to a project like why do you think a lot of people go out of their way to see a film that he writes and or directs Well, firstly, that is a very interesting question to ask, and um, but uh, and I actually do have uh, multiple answers uh, for that. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think the first one that is uh, circling my head right now, uh, you know, almost kind of like you know, forcing me say say an answer now. Then then I would say it's very it's pretty it's pretty basic i guess because fundamentally deep down <clears throat> you know uh you know certain misfires and certain uh, eccentricities aside deep down i guess film goers let's let's just uh, you know let's just use that term if that's okay a uh, film goers they realize that he is actually one of the very few remaining people who are still tackling interesting material that's basically it really because you know whatever whatever he whatever he does they um you know it doesn't matter it doesn't matter if it's going to be a misfire or not 
right from the get-go before before they can come to the verdict that oh it's a misfire or oh it's actually good there's always that there's always that very thin yet very important layer that this is some interesting material this is some cool stuff that i want to see but then people will never verbally say that out loud so i guess that would be that oh and also um it's also the fact that um he he would finance his own films so you know he he has he has creative control over his stuff so your criticisms or your observations or your perspectives on his films i don't care if it's negative or positive or somewhere in between your perspectives toward his work will always be there will always be an awareness of this is from the 80% or to 100% his thing exclusively without without or with very minimal control or influence from somebody else so if he does something successful you can you you have a you have this solid base that that's because of him or because if something in the film doesn't work you can also say that's also because of him and you would be right or you know there would not be like um i doubt that there's there's very there's very less of that when you talk about his films so i'm sorry if that's a, a very a long-winded answer but um that's I, I would say that's the 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 gist of it no, that's a perfect answer, honestly, because even pushing the misfires aside and regardless of how you feel about those films, it's so incredible that we have a filmmaker like him still going to where he tackles these interesting themes in a very bold and grand way that may not be the most clear-cut, easy stories to follow. Like, we don't get a lot of filmmakers like him anymore, like you said, and also, I think it's amazing that he pretty much has financed a lot of his projects as of late because we don't really have a lot of filmmakers like that anymore, especially in the mainstream studio system because obviously he's a high-profile filmmaker. Everybody knows who he is. Whether that's good or bad, everybody knows who M. Night Shyamalan is. He's been a ma major filmmaker for the better part of almost 25 years. He's directed countless films. He's done big studio tentpoles. He's done smaller independent projects. He's done it all. And he hasn't even directed, I think if I'm not mistaken, he's only directed maybe 10, 11 films if I'm not mistaken. I mean, it's hard to keep track because he has a film coming out every two years. So it's like, oh my God, there's so much. But... I always get excited whenever he has a new project coming out because I know that it's going to get a lot of people talking. Whether you like the film or not, it's not going to leave your mind for a chunky period of time. And I could tell you that every single film that he's made in the past eight years mainly, like ever since The Visit, so The Visit, Split, Glass, and Old, and obviously Knock at the Cabin, which at the time of this recording, I have not seen. I'm seeing that tomorrow. Um, all of his films just leave this interesting impact on you to where you just can't stop thinking about them. 
There we go. You're just like how, you're just like how did all these ideas come from this man's head? And he's coming up with these incredible innovative wild twists and turns and that's the thing that's so significant about Shyamalan it isn't an M. Night Shyamalan movie unless there's this big grand twist at the end it could be a very subtle twist it could be a bombastic twist it's no M. Night Shyamalan film unless there's a twist to it and that's something that's very exciting because we get a lot of these mainstream horror thriller films and it's all just so generic and you could say that about Shyamalan, but there's something about the way he presents his films that makes him stand on his own from a lot of the filmmakers' work today. And yeah, I may not be on as high on him as other people are, but I have so much respect for him. Like, even if I walk out of his movies being, oh, I didn't like that, I wasn't wowed by it, I appreciate the craft that was on display that he presented to us. Perfect. That is that is also I would say that is also how you know my 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 sentiments toward uh, sentiment is a bad word. I'm sorry. I guess my, my <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my approach. There we go. My approach towards his films as well. I may not like it, but I I'm very thankful for you know what is uh, what is presented to me. I don't think well. I'll, I'll I'll just I'll just be upfront. I don't think I can say that for uh, the last Airbender, but then again, you know, it's uh, the rest the rest of his stuff, it, the rest of his works. It's just um, always that always that very again very thin, but then very important foundation. Wow, there might be something interesting in that. So. <laughs> So, I just say without further ado, let's get into our top five M. Night Shyamalan films. So, this is going to be very, very interesting. So, Win, what is your number five favorite film directed by M. Night Shyamalan? Okay. Well, I would say, I, well, again, I would like to apologize if by saying the name of this film, this is the point where, you know, people might pause or maybe even back out of your podcast. But, uh, you know, let let me just ask you, um, you know, the view count of your episode, it counts how many minutes in? And have we gone past that point? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You don't, have, you don't have to answer that. I mean, like, people should listen because I think I think we're going to have a good discussion on this. But uh, yes. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway um, my uh, in fifth place, it's Lady in the Water. Mm, interesting. Interesting. I can I can see you nodding and I. I can actually see you having to take a sip of water there, Brian. So I was not. <laughs> <laughs> it was all planned out. It was all planned out. I know. So... You got to add a drum roll or some like yeah. womp womp sound <laughs> to that, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. It's entirely up to you. This is your baby. You decide. <laughs> so so yeah, why is uh... Lady in the Water your number five? <laughs> oh, I'm glad you asked. Let's see. Well, um, I really like Lady in the Water, first of all, because uh, Shyamalan, he realizes the presence and basically, a.k.a. the talent of 
Juan Paul Giamatti. I love that man. He should be famous. He should be on the tips of people's tongues. I don't know why that's not happening, but hey, um, we have we have great performances in that, and um, the and you know the I guess I really love Lady and I I like Lady in the Water, or you know I uh, put it in fifth place. It's just because <clears throat> it's about it's very much about him. To the point where you know he he interjects himself in it, but not in a cameo ick if that's such a word way, you know. Um, and that is that is also a point where I guess people are divided on the film, but uh, hey, people love to see uh, their favorite directors and stuff. But I don't know why when Shyamalan does that, people are up in arms. Hey, but that's uh, for another time. But you know, it's um. And again, it's very, it's very much like, it's also based on why uh, uh, an interview that I read of him, I guess, that um, he said he made the story, he conceived Lady in the Water uh, as the, uh, as a kind of film that, you know, his children would be able to see, the kind of stories that we tell to our children, or maybe it was even a story that he wrote that he hold his children before bedtime and now it's just like we're seeing the visual version of it and you know after all a lot of um you know elaborate tricks and uh gimmicks that got Shyamalan the attention that he has uh prior to Lady in the Water I think that Lady in the Water is actually a very laid back and a very relaxed kind of output kind of work and that makes it a very you know a very refreshing kind of brushstroke to see and because again so, I, I really, and again because I'm I'm a big fan of uh, as I've mentioned Jamadi and Bryce Dallas Howard at the time so I was like oh you both are so good in it <laughs> like that so crazy enough this is actually the only Shyamalan film that I have never seen. It's it's so disappointing for me to admit that because, like you, I'm a huge fan of Paul Giamatti. He's one of the most underrated actors, I think, ever. Don't <laughs> even get me started. He's in literally two of my all-time favorite films, Sideways, which, I mean, he should have gotten an Oscar for, but he wasn't even nominated. That's a whole discussion for another time. Sure. And a very special film that is near and dear to my heart, Big Fat Liar. I don't care what anyone says. That film is great. Him as a blue man, I don't know who came up with that idea, but whoever did deserves a massive round of applause. <laughs> and he nails it. <laughs> oh, my God. No, I've heard for so long that this movie is where a lot of people started kind of losing hope in Shyamalan but I read that within the last few years it's developed this cold following to where it was very underappreciated and misunderstood when it came out back in 2006 but now if you watch it this time it's so much different and I was going to watch this literally literally last night last night I I had just finished watching the village so I'm like okay I'm gonna pop in Lady in the Water 
And I tried to watch it, and for some reason, my Wi-Fi was acting terrible. So I couldn't watch it, and I'm so angry at myself that I couldn't watch it because that was the only blind spot that I had from Shyamalan. And it's like, oh my god. But it will happen down the road. I, it, it's going to happen very soon. And as soon as I watch it, you're going to be the first person that I talk to about it. That's a deal. Uh, I appreciate that. And if I may also say, because as you mentioned, like as it happens, this is the only Shyamalan film that you haven't watched. That's a twist. That... <laughs> I'm so, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, someone had to say it at some point. <laughs> well, there's another drum roll you can insert, or oh no, not a drum roll, but like a badum. <laughs> oh, I'm so lame. I'm so sorry, listeners. I'm so sorry. No, Ryan. this is hysterical. <laughs> yeah. No, this is great. We need some oomph and some humor injected into our episodes because when our episodes are just very stoic like this, it's not fun at all. But oh. you you add a nice, a fun approach to it, which I really appreciate. And, you know, now going into my number five. Right. This is also a film that a lot of people were so incredibly divided on when this came out. So I'm going to go with The Village from 2004. That is my number five. You know, I will be upfront and say that I watched this film a lot later than I had wanted to. I remember hearing for so long, oh my god, this film is so awful. The twist is so terrible. The movie was mismarketed. And I did not watch a trailer for this before I watched the movie. Now, when the movie came out, I was six. So obviously I did not see the 2004. But... Um, I watched it, I think about, I think it was right before The Visit came out back in 2015. I was doing a deep dive into Shyamalan's work, and I had watched this mainly because I love Joaquin, and I like Bryce Dallas Howard. I, the cast here, I mean, is amazing. The cast here is so good. Like, I... Like, this might be my favorite cast that Shaman has ever put together. Bryce Dallas Howard, Joaquin Phoenix, Adrian Brody, Sigourney Weaver, Brendan Gleeson, recent Oscar nominee Brendan Gleeson, and the late great William Hurt. Like, this is a great cast. And and also, I mean, the people that he got to work on this movie, I'll talk a little bit about them later, but, like, obviously James Newton Howard, his frequent composer – did the score for this but the person that he got to shoot this movie i mean i'll touch about it in just a little bit but i just want to say that i love a good period romance i'm a sucker for movies like that i'm not a big romance guy when it comes to film but when you add a period element into it i'm a big period piece guy so i'm like yes give this to me now and then you add supernatural elements to it oh my god like that's literally me and then you add joaquin phoenix I mean, it literally, you're pitching me the perfect movie M. Night. And then the twist happens. And I'm not going to spoil the twist in case anyone out there hasn't seen it. I mean, the movie's almost 20 years old. And if you haven't seen it at this point and you consider yourself a Shyamalan fan, what are you doing? But I personally really like the twist. I can understand why people are like this twist wasn't as well executed as it could have been. I don't know. I rewatched the movie yesterday, and I was like, you know what? 
It works for me. I, I don't know what it is. I think I was so riveted by these characters. I mean, the character of Ivy Elizabeth Walker. The person this was, I, I believe. Oh, yes. The person you would take out to dinner. If I'm not mistaken, I believe this was Bryce Dallas Howard's first leading role in a film. And she was great for a, a debut in the Leon role. I mean, she knocked it out of the park. And she obviously worked with Shyamalan again on Lady in the Water. But right. I don't know. I loved her performance. And Joaquin's always good. So he was great in this. But I want to shout out William Hurd in particular mm-hmm. as the father. I, I really... I will be upfront and say that I haven't seen a lot of movies with William Hurt. When he passed away a while ago, it was definitely a devastating loss because he was so talented and everything. But this is actually one of my favorite performances that I've ever seen from him. And I don't know, like, no qualms with the ensemble. But, you know, kind of going off that particular cinematographer that I was hinting at, (laughs) a lot of Shyamalan's films look great. Right. A lot of them look great, but this is, in my opinion, the best-looking film that he's ever directed, and that has to be because he had Roger Deakins shoot it, and Roger Deakins is a king. He's a goat. Everybody loves him, and rightfully so. He's one of the best out there. The imagery here, it looks like a pain. It's so gorgeous. The landscapes. The sets, all of them look great. There's a way that he lights this movie and shoots it through the compositions and everything that make it look so pristine and crisp. It's a really incredible parent, and I would love to see him work with Shyamalan again. I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet. You know, like, look, listen, Roger Deakins, take a break from working with Denis Villeneuve and Sam Mendes and go back to working with Shyamalan. Like, come on, Roger. that's please that's sir deacons to you brian i'm sorry i'm sorry sir roger please work with m night again for me please and thank you sincerely brian suffield no i like the village a lot and i really understand a lot of the criticisms that people have with it but i really don't think it's as bad as people make it out to be because for people that say it's the worst film that shaman has directed i mean have you not seen the last airbender like, come on, seriously? <laughs> and I get it, it's all opinionated, but like, guys, come on. I mean, granted, I did see the trailer after I saw the movie, and I'm like, okay, I can understand being pissed off about this, but that's why you you gotta, like, keep your expectations low. You can't rely on marketing and be like, oh my god, I'm in, I'm 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 hooked. Like, you, you gotta be cautious of when you're walking into a movie, and Shyamalan has been very vocal about how... He wishes that he could have been more on top of how this film was marketed. Mm-hmm. Because I remember when The Visit came out and it did a Comic-Con panel. And someone asked him, do you have any regrets with certain aspects of your career? And he's like, oh, one of the biggest ones is the marketing of The Village. Because they marketed it to be this horror movie but instead it was a period romance with some supernatural elements incorporated into it so a lot of people were walking into it expecting this terrifying horror film but instead they got this period romance and i can understand people being ticked off with that but i don't know i dig it 
I really liked it a lot. So The Village yeah. is my number five. Are you gonna pass or is this not on your list? I will I will have I will pass. However, I would like to um you know, latch on to your last point there a little bit. Yes, indeed the marketing was strange because I can vividly remember um now I can't remember what what the movie was but what the movie was the one that I bought the ticket for but then I remember entering the theater a bit late so you know the trailers were already running and there was the trailer for the village and it scared me so bad the, 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 there was I think they put a jump scare into that particular trailer or something that I remember walking in and I was like what the expletive basically you know so <laughs> but then when I you know when the finally the film came out and then I watched it and I was like um that trailer and this one the math is not mathing basically so there's that <laughs> so yes I do I do agree with the fact that you know um that marketing um kind of like screwed him over on that a little bit don't know if they're aware of it but you know they're the one who should be you know walking down a shame boulevard that's all i'm saying yeah i mean the people at touchstone who marketed the movie i mean what the hell were you doing like come <laughs> on I'm sure even if they marketed this like what it was, this period romance, I'm sure people would have gone to see it because they're like, Shyamalan doing a romance? That's very out of left field for him. There we go. It would actually be kind of like Spielberg doing romance with The Terminal, and that actually is a good film, by the way. If you're list- if you're and that's a great that's a great film. That's a, I could go on and on about how amazing that film is. <laughs> yes. So Finally, uh, another Terminal fan. Finally. <laughs> Hello, where have you been all my life? So, <laughs> oh God, I've been missing this so much. <laughs> so now, so now going into our number fours, what is your pick? All right, my number four is the Sixth Sense. I don't know. Are people gonna be up in arms about me regarding this? Because you know they're always like. The Sixth Sense is actually his greatest and his only best film that I see. But then now I'm putting it on, you know, in a list of five, I'm putting it at four. I, I don't know. I don't care. But yeah, my number four is The Sixth Sense. And the reason for that, thank you for asking, um, it's just because I guess it's also for a very simple reason. Because Shyamalan did make better films after The Sixth Sense. And I don't know. Should I even expound on that? Yes. Yeah, I think I could. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very yeah, it's very simple because a lot of people seem to. Um, and again, it's 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 almost reflects. Uh, it's almost you know reflexive, uh, reflexive or reflects of people, really to just take the best of a particular person and then use the elements therein in order to define whatever they can do. So not the case because if, shall we say, the sixth sense was, you know, Shyamalan establishing his ability to uh, turn people on their heads with a twist or establishing that if 
the story touches on horror, horrific themes or horror imagery, he can ace that too, or so on and so forth. Or he can get surprisingly great performances out of people who you would never think that would be able to get that kind of performances. I mean, if you're gonna stick, if you're gonna, if you're gonna define people only based on the best attempt that they did, then obviously you're you're always going to be in for a disappointment. And yeah, I I say that's it. But uh, other than that, it's just the sixth sense is good. The sixth sense is great because not only. Not only because you know we we do agree. I think we do agree upon the fact that you know Bruce Willis turned in one of his best career best. I would say even his greatest, not one of his greatest, but his greatest performance here. You know because again, people always say that when they look at Bruce Willis, all they can think of is John McClane, or mm-hmm. in in that Christmas movie. You know, Die mm-hmm. Hard. So yeah, but no, he's not. To me, after seeing the Sixth Sense, I would always see Bruce Willis as Doctor Crow, or even or David Dunn. Even I don't see him as the tough guy that everyone would define him as. So and also because now when we're talking about the Sixth Sense, we have to you know we have to, I guess we have to mention the fact that. Tony Collette's performance in that, what was that? That was amazing. I will never be able to shake off the association that Tony Collette, Haley Joe Osment's mom in The Sixth Sense. I know a lot of people are like, oh, Tony Collette, hereditary. Tony Collette, hereditary. Tony Collette, hereditary. No, me, you ask me, Tony Collette, Haley Joe Osment's mom. And by the way, yeah, that was me forgetting her character's name. So you know, don't come at me for that. <laughs> you forgot to talk about Haley. <laughs> yes. Oh my goodness, I think this is one of your most controversial episodes, Brian. So <laughs> sorry, Lynn. There we go, Miss Miss Seer, Miss Seer. Yes. You gotta talk about Haley. <laughs> you gotta talk about the star of the movie. The star of the film? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yes. I remember his name now. Nice. <laughs> All right. This episode is no longer controversial. Phew. Not that good, huh? So, yeah. Oh, and yeah. Now, um, I also noticed that when I talked about this being in fourth place, you were like, uh, you were covering your mouth. And was that okay? Was that positive? Or was that a twist as well? Da da. Oh, my gosh. Well, since you asked that question, that means that it is a pass for me. This is a little higher on my list, so okay. we'll talk about it when we get to it. Um, right. I guess you're saving all of the Haley Joe Osmond talk for me, which I'm very glad that you did because I yeah, mean yeah, that yeah. is yeah, uh, I, yeah, I totally uh, do. What are you talking about? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, all for you, Brian. All for you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. I mean, 
I have a lot to say about Tony Collette as well, so I'm glad you brought up her performance because right. chef's kiss. Literally, chef's kiss. So, my number four, I'm going to go with Split from 2017. That's going to be my number four. Ooh. So, okay. I went into the movie with pretty mild expectations. I remember this was right after he made the visit, which took me by surprise. That film is not on my list, but I remember walking out of the visit being like, oh my God, Shyamalan made a film that I actually liked again. And then when it was announced that he was going to be doing this psychological thriller with James McAvoy, I'm like, yes, yes, give it to me now. I don't know what it's about, but yes, give it to me now. And then that trailer came out, that first trailer, and I'm like, okay, what is this film going to be? Split? What? What is this? I don't know anything about it. All, all I knew was that Shyamalan directed it, McAvoy was in it, and coming off the brilliance of The Witch, Anya Taylor-Joy was co-starring with him. And I'm like, oh my god, yes. Th th yes, give it to me now. <clears throat> so... When I saw the trailer and realized, oh my god, this is going to be a film tackling multiple personalities, I'm so curious to see how this pans out. And I went to go see it with my friends opening weekend, and we were all fortified. Nice. First of all, James McAvoy is incredible in this. He is absolutely fantastic. This is the best acting that I think he's ever done. I've always found him to be a very underrated actor. Sure, he's well known for playing Professor X. And by the way, I mean, him as Professor X, he's amazing in that performance. But that's a different discussion for another time. But James McAvoy is unbelievably good here where he plays these different personalities with such nuance. But also, he is terrifying to watch. And the way that it builds up to him as the Beast... I mean, that's really incredible character work. And he goes all out with this performance as all the different personalities. I cannot tell you my favorite personality because they're all so good and so different from one another. But he knocks it out of the park. And I'm telling you, I think that if this film had come out at a later part of the year, I honestly think he could have gotten major, massive award buzz for this because... That was one of the performances that year that a lot of people talked about in terms of studio projects. And it just stuck with me. And uh, like that that was my biggest takeaway with the with the film was that that performance was so good. But also the film was so captivating and thrilling the entire time. All the twists and turns that were going on, I did not see any of it coming. The film was able to find a way of balancing thrills with tension and also injecting some humor throughout too, which was honestly really, really funny. I was really impressed with the humor that was incorporated throughout this film. But I also found the character arc of Kevin to be really, really great because even though he's battling this this disease and he's doing all these terrible things, you still feel scared for him because you could tell deep down that he is terrified of who he's becoming and he's terrified of the fact that he can't escape that this is who he is so i really love that character arc a lot and i also found the film to be really 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 well shot and scored and i'm trying to pull up who did the score i know it was someone really really cool if i'm not mistaken oh 
Wes Dylan Thordson, who did the score for Foxcatcher, which was really, really cool, but also the imagery. I thought this, besides the the village, this is also a right. stunning-looking film, and the guy who shot this shot It Follows, a film that I'm not super high on, but I really admired the cinematography in that film, as well as Us from Jordan Peele. He also shot that. So I really love how he's this pretty eclectic cinematographer in the horror genre. But yeah, Split, I mean, it rocked my socks off. I mean, the stuff with the beast just terrified me to the core. And the twist in this movie, I remember when the movie came out and everyone's like, oh my God, this is the best twist that Shaman has done yet. Literally, I got off my seat and I screamed from the top of my lungs because it was just so good. I I remember just being like, you know how people get giddy whenever they watch a Marvel movie and something happens where it's connected to something? Yes. The twist in this movie was so brilliant. I'm so glad that it was not spoiled for me. I did not expect what Shyamalan did. I did not expect him to do something like that. <laughs> and I will tell you that it made me squeal with so much glee. I was so excited. My friends are like, huh? Why are you so excited over this appearance? And I'm like, because it's tied to the coolest film ever made. That's why. <laughs> does, your, does your friend listen to this? <laughs> well, now they do, but at the time when this movie came out six years ago, they were like, huh, what? And now they've seen the movie, and they're like, oh, nice, nice. No, I I, <laughs> no, I, lo I loved Split. I thought it was fantastic. It was right outside my top ten for that year, and James McAvoy should have gotten a lot of recognition for this movie because this seriously is the best acting he's ever done. I know people will come at me and say, what about Atonement? Listen, Atonement is great. I love that film, and his performance in that is great, but it's no split. I'm sorry. That's just my opinion, but yeah, I love this movie so much. It's so great, and this to me is the last great film that Shama has directed. Of course, that's just my opinion, but that's just how I feel. So, Split, are you going to pass, or is this not on your list? Um, It's not on my list. Ooh. Ooh. But I can tell you exactly where it lies uh, for this discussion. It's uh, at number six. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And uh, also, um, a uh, funny story. Well, it's funny to me, but I would like to share it with you. Is that I actually had Split. I would say it's also one of the best films that um, one of the best translating experiences <laughs> in the, in my household as well because. Um, Again, because uh, the the our character Kevin, brilliantly played by James McAvoy, you you have said all that I could say. I don't know, you know, me adding to that discussion, uh, me adding to that point about McAvoy's greatness. It's just gonna be, it's just gonna be going around in circles because you did you did a great job already. So, um, again, yeah, it's just because of uh, Kevin's character, multiple personalities. I had so much fun translating it to my uh to to my family who you know i dragged them i forced them to see this because i know that okay i know that y'all you you and you 
don't like horror or anything that's horror adjacent, but please watch this strictly because of the actor. They 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 don't re- they don't remember names well, so I just say the actor. Just know him, basically. And yeah, when he switched personalities, I also switch my cadence or you know the way that I pronounce certain words uh, you know as well so it was it was kind of fun it was it was it, yeah it was it was fun <laughs> you know being um, you know especially being Patricia being absolutely poised and <laughs> on point with the pronunciation with the you know where to stop and where to start uh, certain sentences and certain words so it's just it's just amazing Every time that you know they want to see a film or anything, or they would want to rewatch a film, I would always suggest them that can we rewatch Split again, just so that I basically I can do the different the different kind of <laughs> um, uh, manners uh, manners of speaking, basically. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's amazing! Do you know at one point Joaquin Phoenix was supposed to star in this movie? I missed that memo, and that's a cool memo. Like that I'm was so supposed to be his. That, memo. that was supposed to be his big reunion with Shyamalan, and he dropped out through the scheduling conflicts. And then James McAvoy came in, and honestly, Joaquin would have been great in this role. But mm-hmm. I think it was cool to cast someone like James McAvoy because he hadn't done a character like this before. Like James McAvoy had done his fair share of serious films or some thrillers or whatnot, but I mean. The places that he went to in this performance, I never expected that from James McAvoy. Joaquin, right. I could expect that. McAvoy, I I didn't expect that at all. Very, very good point to bring up. Exactly. Yes. Kind McAvoy will McAvoy he himself, his performance itself is a twist upon a twist, you know? Yes. But, yes it is, exactly. As opposed, as because to, uh, because yeah, a lot of people just looked at him at that point as like Charles Xavier, but then he just did this and he and everyone's like, Whoa, where did this come from? Yeah, and um also um again, uh, you know, to the point where um to the point of McAvoy being a great pick. It's just that my uh one of my aunts, um she said she mentioned this about uh, McAvoy that um, you know that that would always haunt me that would always come back to me is that this actor has really sad eyes, very beautiful but very sad eyes. Mm-hmm. Hence, hence, though whatever all that he does in Split shock her, and yeah, you know, just. It just made the split one of her favorites of that year. So, congratulations, sir! Oh, it's so it's so good, and we could go on forever about split, but we gotta move into our number threes. Oh Four. man, so so much to talk about. So, what is your number three? Okay, Holy Trinity time. So, my in third place on my list is Unbreakable. Mm, nice. Yes. Um, however, I would say maybe well, second most important reason, let's just call it that for want of a better word, as to why Unbreakable is my third favorite, or you know, in th- in the top three, simply because of the uh, cinemat- cinematography of Unbreakable. 
and it's also someone like uh, Deacons with the Village. You know, it's someone that I so so wish Shyamalan had, um, you know, reunite some point. But uh, I guess timing is yet opportune, so we're gonna have to wait for that. However, yeah, I guess it's also, um, yeah, it's also one of the most striking visually striking films that I've ever seen all time and but um, but regarding but speaking about the photography would be I guess would be very limiting to the discussion so I'm just gonna switch to you know the more I guess the another reason but it would also be one of the more uh, common reasons as to why a lot of people like Unbreakable is just because it's a very realistic contemporary superhero story. A lot of people they would just say, um, uh, they would say exactly the same phrase that I just said, but as to when you ask them, oh, okay, what what superhero film? They would say it's a Marvel joint. This is not a diss at Marvel, so again, don't come for Brian. Or, you know, don't review bomb his podcast or anything. But basically it's it, it makes perfect sense. It has it has rules and it has uh how shall we say it? There's a word for it. Feats of strength, feats of wonder that would perfectly make sense in the world that we live in. And no visual effects or very limited visual effects needed. It's um, it's a great film. It's a great film where you can really study the visuals and especially to know how you can visually depict power or superpower without doing a lot. So I guess that's the big reason I would biggest reason I guess why Unbreakable is uh, at third place and also it's just because James Newton Howard's score for that ay 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 it is so distinctly of the era first of all but it is also I guess one of the best homework <laughs> music that I would listen to it actually helped me past an um past an uh an um a really difficult essay so thank you, I guess. <laughs> but <laughs> so yeah, maybe I'm a little bit biased on that front. But what the hell, you know? There you go. I said it. I I said what I said. So. <laughs> <laughs> what is your takeaway with the film's performances? I would love to hear your thoughts on the performances from the actors in the film. Samuel L. Jackson's Finest Hour. I don't know what else I can say to that. I hope I hope Mr. Jackson will also listen and you know he I hope he'll agree, but that that is he's you know, people always know him, you know, as like, hey, well, hey, Samuel L. Jackson, villainous and you know Again, he's he's here and he's a villain for sure. But I also I would say that his 
turn as Elijah, or you know, you can even say Elijah himself. I would say maybe this this was the very first time that I feel like villainy and you know and uh, you know the the heroes and villains are not always so black and white are not so clear cut or in other words i feel something for elijah i feel like i don't hate him i feel sorry for him and if i could i know that elijah wouldn't let me but if i could i would give him the biggest hug ever and it could be it could be the kind of hug that i am i'm so sorry that i'm so sorry that life made you a villain or it could be the kind of hug that you have decided to be a villain and um, i'm so sorry like that i i don't i don't even know if there's a difference between the two uh, uh, perspectives but basically what i'm basically what i'm saying that is that uh i think it's also a big point in uh ender's game the the both the novel and the film itself that the the way that the way that elijah is the way that elijah functions it made me understand him and the more that you understand someone on the opposing side the more that the more reason that you can find to love that uh, that uh, the the opposition basically so yeah it was yeah so it was yeah it was a seminal film for me i guess well i'm glad that it left such an impact on you a sentimental impact on you and i'm gonna have to pass on this one uh, oh my god i'll be goodness. talking about it in in just a few minutes not too long we won't have to wait super long to be talking about this Right. So now going into my number three, I'm gonna go with Science from 2002. I know ah. that this is high. This is a lot higher for a, a bunch of people. A lot of people consider this to be one of Shyamalan's best, if not his absolute best movie. And I mean, it's a really impressive film. My God, what can you say about Science that hasn't been said already? First of all, I think. The premise is so, so cool. So, I remember as a kid seeing the DVD in Best Buy or something, and I saw that cool symbol in the crops, the cornfields, and I'm like, what is this? This sounds, this looks so cool. And I mean, as a kid, I regret watching this movie because it it gave me nightmares. It traumatized me when I was a little kid. Uh, those creatures are so well done that Shyamalan is able to subtly present this story in a very grounded, realistic approach. And when it comes to sci-fi, a lot of these films tend to be grand and focus on their scope and everything but Shyamalan finds a way of presenting something grounded and realistic similar to what you said about Unbreakable with it being a grounded superhero story but how like realistic it feels this is the same way and I love the approach that Shyamalan took to this movie I love the score by James Newton Howard it's fantastic and I love the performances I think if the performances didn't work the film would not work 
Mel Gibson, I think, gives one of the best performances of his entire career in this. He is absolutely fantastic here, playing this former priest who stepped out of, you know, stepped away after personal tragedies and everything. And then you have his brother, who's played by Joaquin Phoenix, who's also great in this. And then the children. Uh, you have Rory Culkin, one of Macaulay and Kiernan's brothers, and he's great. And you have Abigail Breslin in one of her earliest roles, and she knocks it out of the park. She is so, so good in this movie. No qualms with the acting. I can't say too much about this, but it's so thrilling, it's so engaging, it's so captivating. But I have to say, one of the scariest scenes of my entire childhood was that birthday sequence. Every time I think about that birthday sequence, it literally shakes me to my core. And even rewatching this film as an almost 25-year-old, it still terrifies me. That's right. the power of how good that scene is. I really like Signs a lot. I don't think it's as perfect as everybody says it is. But man, it's so, so good. And I love what Shyamalan did with this film. I really love it. I can't say too much because... Even though I rewatched it a couple nights ago, it's like, what can I say that hasn't been said already? All I can say is that Signs is a great film. Continues to find a way of still being memorable to this day. And yeah, Mel Gibson and Joaquin Phoenix playing brothers. You know what? I never thought I wanted that, but goddamn, they did great together. So Signs... I kept it short and sweet because I have so much to say about my number two and one, so I wanted to save all the time for that. So to ask you about signs, are you going to pass or is this not on your list? I'm going to pass. <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to hear you talk about it. I cannot wait. So with that being said, we are now getting to the top two. These are the two films directed by Shyamalan that we are most passionate about. Now, I passed on two of the films that you mentioned. Right. And you passed on two of the films that I mentioned. So right. I'm so curious to find out which lands in which spot. So what is your second favorite Shyamalan film of all time? Right. I'm going to try to announce this by emulating it in the, uh, you know, in the writing style of uh, Mr. Shyamalan himself. Um, your number five is my number two. Oh my god, amazing! <laughs> yes. So the why? So why is the village your number two? What makes you such a fan of it? Like, why is this your second favorite Shyamalan film? Why is this so high on your list? I would love to know why you love it so much. Well. It's, uh, I think, again, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and attempt this. I like it for the same reason that people say they hate it, the twist. And <clears throat> I guess it's just, uh, it's, it's also, it's also, there's a very simple explanation for this. It's not rocket science at all, really. It's just because, um... It's just because I saw the film from the perspective of an outsider, a.k.a. non-American. And because whenever we talk about, we, we being 
we being me in my household, whenever we talk about um, the United States of America, we would always think about, you know, um, big things, modern things, things that are cutting edge, things that are ahead of time, ahead of the curve, skyscrapers, great skylines, etc., etc. But then the village, you know, <laughs> reverses that. It was, it was, I, I was totally, in a sense, like the uh, community that is depicted in the film as well. I have no idea about what the outside world is like. I have no idea of the bigger picture. So being introduced to that will be the most immense shock of you know, my entire existence. The whole world would shift it on its axis or something like that. And I feel that, again, also part of why that worked so well for me was because of Bryce Dallas Howard's exceptional. There's just the only word to describe it. It's just an exceptional performance that sells me on that twist. Because it's because it's so it depicts so well the uh, you know I'm not I'm not gonna comment on her you know the fact that you know she doesn't have her sight but it's just because it depicts uh, she she manages to depict so well the you know the the shyness of approaching another culture of approaching another existence the confusion the scare the reluctance it's every single thing that is exactly every single note that I would feel when I approach another culture, like being from, you know, spending most of my formative years in Vietnam and then moving to the U.S. in order to, you know, live. So it was, it was like that. And, uh, you know, to uh, and another point where I would say it's the second on my list, it's just because well, because you have you, you mentioned it earlier as well, Sir Deacons. The work of Sir Deacons is just an exception. Again, <laughs> exceptional is a word here as well. It's just, it's melancholic, but it's never pessimistic. Even though, even though that life is, even though that life, especially when you realize, you know, the, the twist of the, the film, you feel that, oh my goodness, this is so miserable. But then, upon rewatching and rewatching and rewatching it, I feel that I feel that that's the um, that's that's the great thing about uh, Shyamalan's films, all of his films, basically. It's that this is hard, this is tough, but there's always light at the end of the tunnel, or there's always something better around the corner if you bother to sit there and see it and you feel that it's there and the photography evokes that and also it's just it's just also very amazing to see i think that's also where the the first time where i noticed that is shyamalan experimenting with his styles a little bit here or is he kind of like doing additional uh tests on those same experiments before like um we have you know we have static shots we have and there there's that one moment where you know great performances between uh, Bryce Dallas Howard and William Hurt there about do your best not to scream 
I think it was also the first time where I really, really noticed that Shyamalan is doing steady cam or sh shoulder cam here. So that's a good way to visually uh, communicate drama, basically communicate some communicate something shocking that's coming up. And it's a uh, basically it's a very good film to study. And um, there's there has been. Thankfully, there has been many great writings and you know ref, uh, re uh, reappraisals on it. That it's just great to see when people get past the point that oh, this is a product of this is mismarketing or this twist is stupid or so on and so forth. You know, it's so impressive what he was able to do with it. And yeah, like you said, it's a good film to study and analyze. And I've seen so many analysis videos and essays written about it. It's a film that's been, there's a reason why it's been heavily discussed these last almost 20 years. Like there's a reason why people still talk about this movie to this day, whether you like the film or you hate it. There's a reason why this is one of the most discussed films in Shyamalan's filmography and that's never going to change, and rightfully so, because even though I am a fan of the film just like you, I could recognize that, yeah, I get why there are people that weren't wowed by it. Yeah, I can acknowledge that, yeah, people were disappointed by it, and I understand that, but this is what Shyamalan likes to do. He likes to make films that people won't shut up about because they will keep them thinking and guessing exactly what it is he's trying to interpret it. And he pulled something off here, and it's quite extraordinary. And my number two is Unbreakable. Hey! I I grew up loving superhero films. I, I tell myself that I'm not into superhero films as much as I used to be because there's a huge fatigue. Again, Sorry, Marvel fans. I'm so sorry. But <laughs> Unbreakable is the kind of superhero project that I wish we got more of. The closest thing that we get to it where it's a very grounded, realistic approach is The Boys. Now, granted, I can't say The Boys is very grounded in its approach to stuff. But it's not very formulaic when it comes to the superhero stuff. It kind of pokes fun at the superhero cliches, but it's also a superhero story in its own right. Mm -hmm. And what I love about Unbreakable so much, first of all, the performances are incredible. Everyone is so good. Everything you said about Samuel Jackson as Elijah, it really is one of the best performances of his entire career. Honestly, it might be my favorite acting that he's ever done, to be honest. And look, that's not to say that he hasn't given performances that I love. I obviously love when he works with Tarantino. He's always great when he knocks those out of the park. And he's delivered quite a handful of good performances throughout the years, even though he plays pretty much the same character and everything that he's in. But there's something about his portrayal of Elijah that makes it stand out from a lot of the performances that he's given these last couple of years. He... You can't condone what he's doing throughout the movie, but you feel bad for him because he simply is a person that just wanted to be loved and wanted to be liked, but he has this condition where his bones break so easily like glass, and 
Because of that, he feels so lost. But then he comes across David Dunn, who also is going through his own trials and tribulations throughout the movie. And David Dunn is going through a broken marriage. He has a relationship with his son. He is doing stuff with his job. But then he's also trying to balance the fact that he is the sole survivor of this massive train accident, train crash that happened. And he is pondering. He's like, how did I survive? How is it that everybody else died except for me? And, you know, the idea for someone to make a grounded superhero film especially for Shyamalan coming off of The Sixth Sense. I mean, that's a very bold project to tackle as your follow-up to this critically beloved horror thriller that was nominated for all these Oscars. And then you decide to do this very big superhero film that's a lot smaller than what we were getting. And this was at the point where superhero films weren't as overstuffed as they are now. Like, this was right before we got Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man movies. The first X-Men, I believe, had just come out when this came out. And we also had the Blade films with Wesley Snipes. So the superhero genre wasn't what it was then compared to what it is now. Where we get, like, ten superhero projects a year. All these movies, all these shows. And you watch this movie and you're like, man, if only we got superhero films like this where, yeah... It's so focused on the characters more so than the style. Like, of course, Shyamalan incorporates this very interesting style to it. Not very reliant on visual effects, but more of a focus on the characters and what's going on around them. And I love that so much. Bruce Willis is incredible. Samuel Jackson's incredible. Robin Wright is fantastic in this. And a performance that really does not get as much recognition as it deserves because really... You could have looked at her character and would be like, oh, she's just a cliched wife, blah, blah, blah. And sure, maybe she is, but the character is so good. And she's so great in the role. And I also have to shout out, and I have to pull up his name. Spencer um, Clark. Spencer Trent Clark, one of the best child performances that I've seen probably ever. He is absolutely wonderful in this. And he is so, so good in this. Like, he is great. The whole sequence that where he has the gun be like, he's going to survive. He's going to be okay. And it's all in one take. And that's another thing that I have to commend about this movie. There are so many long takes in this movie. There are so many yeah. sequences where the camera does not cut. Literally the opening. Yes. The opening discussion on the train. It doesn't cut for like five minutes. It just pans back from... David Dunn to the girl that he's talking to on the train and then it occasionally cuts back to the little girl that's a few rows in front of him and then there's all these sequences where the camera just doesn't cut and the, the gun sequence in the in the kitchen with the three of the Dunn people the Dunn family <laughs> it's like it doesn't cut and I'm like Shyamalan like what <laughs> you're you're knocking it out of the park it's incredible and some of the best camera work in his films is on display in this film. I gushed yes. about the beautiful imagery from Deacons in the Village and the great imagery in Split, but 
The camera work here deserves a massive round of applause. And a lot of people don't talk about that when they talk about this movie because they talk about mm -hmm. the performances, the visuals, the score by James Newton Howard, which, by the way, is absolutely phenomenal. It's an incredible score. And I was just taken aback by how this was brought together. And, man, like, every time I watch this movie, I pick up on something new. I pick up on something new, and it's so brilliant. There are a lot of people that consider this their favorite Shyamalan movie, and this is honestly a very deserving pick to be your favorite because, again, like for what it is and for what it did at the time it came out, it's really incredible. And when people talk about their favorite superhero movies, I wish more people talked about this one because if I were to make a list of my favorite superhero films right now as we speak, this would definitely be in the top 10, and I really think it could find a way to slide into the top 5. I love Unbreakable. I really love the film, and I know that it's a it has a huge following, but I still feel like it's very underrated. I still feel like a lot of people don't talk about this movie as much as they should. But yeah, right. I love the movie so much. And it was neck and neck. It was battling it out for my number one. It, there was a period where this was my number one. It was really tough. And I'll be honest, about 15 minutes before you hopped onto this call, I'm like, oh my God, is this my number one? Or is that my number one? I kept swapping it back and forth. But then I went with my gut and was like, no, I think that this is a worthy number two. And my number one is a worthy number one. So... Yeah, Unbreakable, yeah. great, great film. Truly wonderful film. Yeah, and, you know, just to, um, you know, I guess, um, the fact that you may, the fact that you mentioned that, you know, uh, the long takes and all, um, I think if we ask our, uh, our mutuals on, you know, whether online or offline, who love films as much as we do, um, and if they have seen Unbreakable, they would always be able to pick out, oh, this is my favorite shot from Unbreakable. And I reckon that it would always be different. You know, so it, it, that, I guess that's the, best, um, that's the best evidence that you can get that Eduardo Serra's, uh, you know, camera work in here is just amazing. Like, um, I, I can still remember vividly that I had a very lengthy discussion with a friend about how the opening of the film is actually a reflection on top of a reflection. And then mm -hmm. only at the very end of that sequence do you get to see like the non-reflection, like the real thing. And, you know, when, <laughs> when, the, when uh, you know, my friend pointed that out, I was like, oh my goodness. Is this gonna be become my new favorite? I think so. I think it might just have. <laughs> and um, <laughs> also, um, the other day, I think it was three or four days ago, or something like that. Um, uh, Indonesian filmmaker Timo uh, Timo Jajanto, he said that you know the um, the whole sequence, the whole not cutting away any second at all. The, the sequence where, you know, David woke up and then had the discussion with the doctor, but then there's that patient in the form. Yes, that's, yes. That's like dying, 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 bleeding, 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 and oh. all that. It was just, he said that that shot made a big impact on him, and I was like, oh. 
I guess it's so guess good. You are right. I'm not gonna question you on that at all. But yes, it it was yeah, and I would also say that it it was a sequence that um made me kind of like difficult to sleep that night. I guess, <laughs> but was it was it even like horror? I I don't know. I wouldn't say so. It's or you know the horror is not overt, but then yes, it definitely made an impression. Yeah. Oh man, God, that film is something else. Truly, it's really something else. Yeah. Oh, and I but... also. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go oh, ahead. Okay. Uh, I also love that. Um, and I think people don't really discuss it, or they haven't they haven't verbalized it, but um, or they haven't verbalized it that much. I I I think I have to uh amend that. Um, is that. I always think that this is a very refreshing take on the superhero film, basically because every time it could go bigger the way that a conventional superhero film would, every time that Unbreakable reaches a point where oh, something big is going to go, something big is going to happen, it would always like, no, we're going to contain it. We're going to try and yeah. slow it down as much as possible. And... That's actually, I, I think that's also part of the reason why I love Unbreakable so much. It's my third place, it's in my top five, and it's one of my all-time favorites. It's just because of that. It really it really enables you to have this very um, refreshing and textured discussion on how do you define power? Do Is it because you have all the strength in the world to break things? Or is it because you have all the strength in the world to try and not break it kind of deal? Yes, exactly, exactly. Well said, truly well said. And now it's time for us to talk about our favorite films directed by M. Night Shyamalan. So I would love to know, truly would love to know, why is Signs your favorite film directed by M. Night Shyamalan? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my gosh ah okay yes science is my uh, science is my favorite because it was every single i would say mood or you can replace it with emotion that it, that <coughs> sorry that the film that the film would try to achieve it reaches it it meets it basically so does it want does it want to be sad it made me sad did it want to be philosophical it was so provocative in that point does it want to be freaking scary yes absolutely and mr shyamalan if you're hearing this i would say that thank you so much for making my sister and you know me unable to sleep for about two nights and we now have a permanent trust issues with windows forever because of science yeah because and i guess science is also science is also that kind of film where it um i would say it's one of those films where it grows with you because when i first saw it i i was I, I find it horrifying. I find it, I would find it a horror film. 
because of you know the the you know the the the, the extraterrestrial invaders and the fact that you know they they can you know they can run faster than us they can jump higher than an olympic athlete they can you know camouflage and all that sort of stuff but then over time until i would say maybe around 15 or 16 years old when i rewatched it again really sit down and you know watch it i realized that i guess the most horrifying thing the thing that makes science a horror film is not so much because of the aliens. The horror here is that when you when you lose your faith to live, when you lose your ability to really believe. Not not necessarily in a higher power, but to believe that some your existence has a point where you can reach, basically. So what happens when that point is not there anymore? What happened when you, when everything in front of you, that, that point is like covered in fog, in smoke. It's somewhere within all that, uh, you know, all that corn. What do you do? And that's way more, that's way more terrifying and that's way more tangible than, you know, aliens, man. So. Yeah. Great film. Uh, can't really add too much more to that. Like you, everything you said was so beautiful, and I just love your perspective oh. on it. I thank you I, so. Much. I don't. I don't know how. How am I gonna follow that up when talking about that Sixth Sense is my number one? I mean, what, well, you can how, elaborate more. How am I? You can. How am I gonna follow that up? <laughs> you can definitely elaborate more about that freaking birthday scene. Holy cow! Oh my god, and another also, another another terrifying birthday scene. Shyamalan and his birthday scene. Shyamalan just loves to find a way of making birthday scenes terrifying in movies. I don't know so what should we should we even invite him to birthdays anymore? I don't think so. Let's <laughs> not, because I don't want my birthday to be traumatizing. I don't listen, <laughs> I have a birthday to celebrate a new year for me. I don't okay. want to be traumatized at the start of the year. So, uh, Shaman must have gone to a birthday party as a child and was like, I'm going to incorporate this into practically every film that I can when it comes to a birthday party. I mean, think about how in Split, it all started at a birthday party when they got kidnapped. Like, oh, think yes. about that. Oh, yes. Holy cow. Like it's always it's always a no, birthday party. He, he is he is permanently banned from birthdays. And also, speaking of that birthday scene, I think we're gonna if if it's okay, we're gonna go uh, dip into the you know technical bill a little bit. Would that also be? Would you say that that's also one of the earliest uh, occasions where he adopted found footage, where he experimented with the found footage? Style? Yes, yes, abs absolutely. Because prior to that, he hadn't really done found footage. And mm -hmm. I'm very hit or miss with the idea of found footage incorporated into movies, but that is how you utilize found footage in a horror film. That is right. how you do it. Mm -hmm. Like, oh man, it's incredible. Like, literally mm -hmm. chills again just thinking about it, but... Yeah. Oh. And uh, I say that 
And I say also, you know, just going off the uh, birthday scene as well, that speaks a lot to, um, I guess, one of his best ever collaborators. We, you know, we have mentioned that here because we talked about uh, Roger Deakins, we talked about Mike Julakis, we talked about, um, who was it? Who was it? Eduardo Serra. Tak Fujimoto. Oh my gosh. Thank you, sir. I think I think he I think he retired, but I think he retired. But whatever the case, he he left he left a major impression in uh, in on cinema, especially in the uh, in the uh, photography in the cinematography uh, department. But for some reason, I don't I don't see people talk uh, talk about him that often. I don't know why. But. You know, we definitely should talk about him more often. If you ever do an episode on you know, cinematographers, and especially Tak Fujimoto, please hit me up. Yeah, I mean, the guy... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that guy. I mean, what a resume, too. Not to, like, go into this. And then we'll talk about Sixth Sense. But the fact that this guy shot both Signs and Ferris Bueller... I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, like... Never... I, never in my life would I have pictured someone shooting both signs and Ferris Bueller. I mean, my God, kudos what, to that man. What 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 are the kids calling it these days? Um, what's the word? Oh, range. <laughs> range. That's right. The range. I love it so much. I love it so much. Oh my God. All right, time to talk about why the Sixth Sense is my favorite Shyamalan film. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay, so I remember when I started getting into film in my early teens, like right before I became a teenager, I remember hearing constantly about The Sixth Sense. I remember hearing about how it left an impact on so many people because of the iconic twist, the iconic quote of I See Dead People, and just how much of a game changer this was coming out in the year that closed out the 20th century. And it was a critical darling. It was a box office juggernaut. It was a massive departure for Bruce Willis, who, like you said, prior to this was a big action star. He had done his fair share of comedies. He had done some sci-fi films. But he had never done anything very contained to where he could showcase his range as an actor. And this was the first time that I think for a lot of people to where they saw Bruce Willis in a role and was like, oh man, he's more than just John McClane. He's more than just the guy from Moonlight. He's more than just the talking baby from Look Who's Talking. He's an actual (laughs) good actor. (laughs) He's an actual good actor. And then you have Tony Collette, who wasn't super big in the United States, but she was making her rounds and everything. And I just want to say that I did an episode on Tony Collette with Matt St. Clair, a great episode, great discussion. And Tony Collette, and we're not going to go into too much detail about this, but she does one of the best fake American accents I've ever heard in my life for the (laughs) longest time. The longest time I thought she was American. And then I remember I saw a trailer for that romantic comedy Enough Said. Do you remember that movie with James Gandolfini and Julia Louise Dreyfus? Yes, I do. 
So I saw the trailer for that, and I'm like, whoa, where did this come from? This accent? I'm like, it, this can't be her real accent. Then I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, my God. That is her real accent. It's great. It's great. She's amazing in this. And a lot of people, like you said, talk about Hereditary, which I stand by being her best performance. But this is her second best performance, in my opinion. Like, this is, like, right there. If Hereditary didn't come out, mm -hmm. this would be the number one performance for me. And yeah. a lot of and people it's... need to stop saying that, like, oh, Hereditary is the only great horror movie with Toni Collette. Uh, no, The Sixth Sense is right in front of you. She is absolutely phenomenal in this. She got her first, and somehow this is still her only Oscar nomination, which is sickening. It's sickening. The woman should have <laughs> at least four... Listen, the woman should have at least four Oscar nominations by now, and quite frankly, she should have at least one Oscar to her name right now. So, another discussion for a different time. I mean, you can listen to the Tony Collette podcast where I could go talk about this for much longer. But, my God, when you talked about The Sixth Sense and you didn't acknowledge Haley Joe Osment, I was like, what the hell? <laughs> because that is one of the best child performances I think I have ever seen. That is an incredible debut performance. Now, I know that he had done films prior, but that was the first time where people were like, oh my god, who is this Haley Joe Osment kid? Because he's an, he's acting alongside this acting pioneer in Bruce Willis, and he's going head-to-head -head with him. And I'm like, oh my god, he's on the same level. Hell, honestly, he's even better than Bruce Willis. And he's a kid. And Haley Joe Osment, as Cole... It's a heartbreaking performance, and he goes places that I don't think most 10-year-old actors could pull off. I've seen many great child performances throughout my life. I'm going to be honest. This really is top three child performances that I've ever seen. And I think the fact that he got an Oscar nomination for this is so freaking exciting and so cool. They never nominate child performances anymore. It's very rare to where we even get a child nominated for an Oscar, let alone win an Oscar. We've had a few chi children win Oscars, which, I mean, I cannot even imagine what that's like. Oh, you're a child? Oh, here's an Oscar. For me? Like, I, I can't even imagine. Can't even imagine. Anna Paquin's Oscar-winning speech is honestly one of the funniest things I've ever seen because it's like, if I were in her shoes, I would react the exact same way if I was like, oh, yeah, you won an Oscar. It's like, um, hello? What? Most 11-year-olds are picking their noses, but I have an Oscar. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, Permanent God, it's right, right there. <laughs> Ser seriously, like, oh, my God, I can't even imagine what that was like. But, yeah, Haley Joe Osment goes places, and the character of Cole is so beautifully executed. He is fantastic. He's so cute, and you want to give the kid a hug, but you're also like, um, dude. You're fucking this weird. Sees things. Get the fuck away this from me. Sees things. Oh my god. Oh, <laughs> uh, he see he see he sees dead people and yeah, he is incredible in this. And I grew up loving Haley Joe Osmond. Listen, I have to bring this up. This may be the only time I ever get a chance to bring this up on the podcast. Sure where my Kingdom Hearts stands at. Where my Kingdom <laughs> Hearts fans at. Um because listen, the sixth sense slaps. He's amazing in it, of course. But there's no better performance from Haley Joe Osment than when he plays Sora in the Kingdom Hearts series. 
I'm just I, I have to bring that up because I don't think I'll ever be able to bring that up ever again on the show. So thank you for coming to my TED talk. But um <clears throat> no, I I also think for it being a PG thirteen movie, it's a lot more intense than a lot of people think it is. And I love the subtle approach to it. Like the jump scares in this movie are actually really compelling. And they're timed perfectly. Like, they're not in your face. There's not loud music. But even when there is, it's like, oh, my God, that genuinely shook me up. And this also finds a way of being a great character drama, too. You care about Malcolm. You care about Cole. You care about Lynn. You care about all these characters. And the big twists. I recently got a tweet saying... I figured this out in the first 10 minutes. First of all, did I ask you? Second of all, um, when I first saw the movie, I didn't figure it out right away. It wasn't upon rewatches where I'm like, okay, yeah, I could see where that's come. But for some reason, it's still so well executed. Like the subtleties of it. It's so brilliant. And there's a reason why this is still regarded as one of the best twists in film history. And also, this is a very important thing, the last thing that I will bring up. The fact that this film was nominated for so many Oscars, including Best Picture, that is a shock. Because they never nominate movies like this. And this was at the point where they only nominated five movies for Best Picture. Would this get in if it were ten nominees? Honestly, probably yes, because that was one of the best films of that year. But it just showed that at one point, the Academy took risks by nominating films like this that weren't Oscar bait. And I think it's so cool that they nominated this. Shyamalan got nominated for director. The film got nominated for its screenplay. Haley Joe Osment and Tony Collette received nominations for their performances. I would have loved if Bruce Willis got a nomination because I think he was deserving of one. And the film was nominated for Best Picture. And right. it's so inspiring to me to see a film like this get celebrated by the Academy. Even though it didn't walk away with any wins, the fact that it got nominated for stuff is a win in my book. I have loved The Sixth Sense for as long as I could possibly remember. It's the Shyamalan film that I've seen the most. It's the Shyamalan film I've gone back to the most. And I don't think he's ever been better. I think he's gotten close. He's gotten close. But for some reason, he has yet to top this film for me. And there's a reason why I regard it as not only my favorite film that he's done. I also think it's the best film he's ever done. So The Sixth Sense is my number one. Right. Very compelling argument. And uh, if this had been a TED Talk, yes, you will have my full attention from second one to the very end credits. So, thank <laughs> you. And I would say, <clears throat> I would also say that, um, well, The Sixth Sense is equally the best thing and the worst thing to happen to Shyamalan. Yeah. Because... Uh, you know, I know, I know that, I know that your point about him not being able to 
you know, top this or getting cl- only getting close at the very most getting close. Mm-hmm. It comes from a good place. But at the same time, does he ever need to top this? Can this be on no. his own pedestal? Exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so it's just, and I also think it was also because Shyamalan at the time he was he was younger then, and you know with all the with all the deserving acclaim that the six cent uh, that the six cents got, it is it is of course novel. It is of course great, you know, to bask in it. However, I think he he allowed it to define him so much to the point where he would, of course, try to emulate what works because naturally that's what you do. That's what you do. You know, you you know, you like me for certain things that I keep on doing, and you know, if I ever gone astray from that, I suddenly stumble upon this kind of like scale where. You either find me interesting, or you find me, or you stop finding me interesting, ever again because I have gone astray, quote unquote. So there's so there's him in that because subsequent his subsequent films, he used the same elements, let's just call them that, in order to try to capture the second six sense lightning in his bottle. But then, you know, it was, I think it was a mistake to do so in retrospect because he will never be able to, he will never be able to emulate that again because if he ever did that again, it was basically, there's a, there's a perfect word for it if you try to do that. It's called rehash. And, you know, that is also, I would say, that has... For the longest time, it has also been kind of like a descriptor for him, but not not the word rehash itself, but then the synonym of it is like one trick pony, and you know it's it's not it's not right because I guess it's not only because it's not polite, but then at the same time it it's not wrong. So, yeah. at some point, for for this particular discussion, I apologize that I couldn't pick the that exact point but there is a point where he chose to diverge from that path where he said i'm just going to stop trying to capture the six the second the second coming of the sixth sense and i'm just going to do my own thing that is and that worked out that worked out well for him creatively i i, I don't care i'm not going to talk about you know the the reception of his films but I think it actually liberates him, and uh, yeah, it made him it made him better. Absolutely, and I, and I think and I think I like that. I think I like that. His films may not work for me, but as long as he can keep on doing them out of, uh, you know, from a creative place, from a genuinely creative place, then you know, I would um, I would show up for him always. Yeah. I mean that's that's beautifully said. I agree and I guess to close out, I again, like I've said throughout this episode, even if his films aren't always winners in my book, 
what he's able to bring to them is why I have so much respect and admiration for him. He brings his own spin. He doesn't rely on other filmmakers' style. He incorporates what he wants to do, and that's incredible. And that's what you should do as a filmmaker. Tell the story that you want to tell. If it doesn't gel with everybody, so be it. If it does, great, wonderful. But Shyamalan is one of those filmmakers that goes all out and most of the time delivers because he right. does what he wants to do, and I really, really respect that about him. Mm -hmm. And so that is why I would also say that Knock at the Cabin works for me. It's because, not because of the twist. I actually know what the twist is already at maybe like around the... Uh, 15 minute mark however his techniques his other the other aspects that you know that he employed in order to make the film they still hold me onto my seat like I basically basically like this <sighs> if you ask me like why did you go see knock at the cabin is it because of the twist I would say no because I may know what it is already, but then because there's always something else that I can pick out from a Shyamalan film that I would like, this is the reason why I stay. And it's not because of what you are always thinking. Derisively. <laughs> so, yeah. Knock at the cabin, a lot of people say that, no, no, I don't like it because I know what it is about. And I was like, okay, sure. But, you know, are the other things interesting enough to keep you in or are you here just because you want to see the twist because a lot of other mm. things are surprising too and to me if only his uh, you know the way that the way that he lets the camera move a certain way or the way that then you know a certain character meets something and then how it's shown how it's communicated that's and it surprises me that's a twist from him to me if you have you know if you have to put it in that way then you know basically we go we go back to the very uh, we would go back to the very uh, the point that i said in the beginning like he always does something interesting and a lot of filmmakers are taking that for granted nowadays or they are being forced to take for granted uh, of that aspect nowadays so. yeah definitely and i cannot wait for knock at the cabin i'm so excited to see it I cannot I wait to see it. You, I hope you like it, or even if you don't, you will find at least one thing that you like from it. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait. I'm so so hyped. And you know, we kind of elaborated on what I would ask, like closing thoughts on Shama. But the last thing I'll say about him is that I love the guy. I think he's a great person. He seems like a cool guy to hang out with and talk talk with but i i will always respect him i will always respect him even if there's a period where i'm just like this film sucks that film sucks this film sucks <laughs> my respect for him will never ever go away so what are your short closing thoughts on this wonderful man i mean you've said so much already i mean like what else can you say about him that hasn't been said already guess only five words left to go may i say them absolutely stay interesting sir thank you 
Thank you, sir, indeed. And thank you, Wen, for coming on today to talk to me about M. Night Shyamalan. Like, you were an awesome guest. I loved having you on, and I loved hearing you gush about your love and appreciation for Shyamalan. So thank you so much for coming on today. No, um, <clears throat> in this case, I think I I would have to say, you know, thank you. You know, you, 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 yes, you, yes. <laughs> because, you know, it's, um, um, I guess, as, you know, as passionate uh, into films as, uh, you know, my household is, they um, sometimes they they don't really they don't really have the time or uh, they don't really have the time or the or again some sort of hurdle that I I cannot I I can never ever really know or comprehend. It's always hard to discuss films with them, but um, and I I I I'm, I don't hate them for that. It's it's okay. But um, sometimes, you know, you, you bottle in so much, you hold in so much, and then you would just hope that, you know, can someone please hold me as a bottle and then just shake me just so that I can be like the champagne and, you know, say all these things about films. And it's just, that is why I'm always so thankful when I get to be, you know, a guest on on a certain podcast of any kind uh but especially about films and you know thank you for this and it's not i mean it's i know that it's not easy i know it's not that it's not easy to make even though it just seems like you know the same format like oh um you know two people just talk about films and you know for an hour and 30 minutes or yada yada so on and so forth but it's not that. It's way more than that. So basically, I guess it was just a very long-winded way and very cheesy way to say that, um, you know, even though you are thankful of me being here, I'm actually thankful for you or, you know, people like you who make these spaces for, you know, for me to be, to empty my, to empty my bottle just so that I can take new new contents in, and then just you know get to uh, get to share it with the world. So thank you so much. And you know, even though I know that you gave the you know you gave kind of like a warning beforehand that you know I'm not in I'm not that hyped into Shyamalan, but hey, I um that that is what makes discussions interesting because we're not on the same page about things. But oh no. We're not on the same wavelength about thing, but then our difference in opinions can get to be on the same page, if that makes sense. So, you know, there's that. Yes. Oh, no, I'm being yeah. so cheesy. I'm being so cheesy. Nah. I'm so sorry. Nah, you're good. You're good. Oh, man, that was so beautiful. That really moved me. I'm so glad that <laughs> you came on today. I'm really, I'm really happy. And, um... Yeah, thank you again. And I would love to for you to tell the audience where they could find you online. Where could they find your work? Um, so I am on. Uh, I'm still on Twitter, believe it or not, because you know after everything, plot twist. It's still the. 
I think it's still the most ideal place for me to promote my work. And so on Twitter, I am NLE318. And uh, on Facebook, I am uh, you know, my first name and last name, Nguyen.Le.334. Yes, I memorized that. How sad is that? But <laughs> whatever. There are so many Nguyen Le's on Facebook. So, you know, I, I have to find ways for you to be, you know, for you to be able to find me. So, yeah, there's that. And um, regarding specific outlets where you can find me if you're not, if you don't have any social media, I would say I'm still trying to find a, uh, a permanent home for my writing because um, I, uh, unfortunately, two of my most beloved homes for writings have to uh, close down. Uh, they are the young folks and uh, Jump Cut Online. Uh, but the writers are still around, so please give them a follow when you get to find them. And um, yeah, so normally those are those are the places where I would you know say that hey come here and find me. But now it's uh, I'm all I'm all over the place, and I hope you still get to visit them. Uh, they are Awards Watch slash film and uh fangoria and of course if you follow me on my social media then um wherever wherever i get to jot down certain thoughts i'll be sure to let you know loud and clear annoyingly loud and clear so sorry <laughs> i will put links for all that in the description below and you guys can follow me on all social medias at brian suffield you guys can find the show on twitter and instagram you guys can rate follow and review the show on any podcasting platform of your choice we have a lot of great episodes coming your way lots of great topics coming your way stay tuned i really appreciate everyone who keeps on listening to the show so thank you so much and guys so many great episodes coming your way so please please stay tuned i said that already but I my brain is fried. I'm exhausted and I'm ready to go to bed. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care of me.